1: My pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you learning ways to save more, spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. If you are a gold bug, this is your time. Gold has been uh, around or above or near record level prices for uh, several weeks now, and gold is always a safe haven in times of uncertainty distress or fear and you think about it right now we have all three of those things going on not just in the United States but around the world and so you got a list you know a lot of people worried about the U.S. and China getting tangled up in ways that are unintended that could be violent and people worry about the big budget deficits we have people worry about what coronavirus is going to do in terms of meaningful long-term damage to our economy and others overseas and anytime you can come up with a list like I just did that probably caused anxiety in you just while I was laying it out people run to things like gold and silver and platinum and uh, various forms of precious metals as a place to kind of hide out. There are also people that are true gold bugs who believe that gold is the answer to every investment question because it's something you can actually hold and have and know that it's there for you through thick or thin. So as I've said all through the years, gold is something that is a hedge, as would the silver and other precious metals be. And so having them as part of what you're about is fine. Uh, You can have gold, precious metals as a reasonable portfolio if you've got assets somewhere around 10% of what you invest in. Remember, gold, doesn't really serve any purpose other than as a proxy for store of value there's some amount of gold that's used in jewelry but the reality is gold is much more about you having something that is a place for you to have some comfort reduce your levels of anxiety and maybe at certain times make money But gold being in record territory, even if records keep being broken over the next many months, you're buying at a time that gold has already had a huge run up. So putting too much store into gold, when you go back just, gosh, what, a year and a half ago or something, gold was uh, nearly half the value that it is today people who hold it over time as a percent of their portfolio ride the up and ride the down but if you buy now you're buying at a time of peak anxiety and somewhere likely in the range of peaking territory even though again it could go up a fair amount from here the odds are that the best days of holding it as a speculative thing are over. And so it needs to be part of a strategic way of thinking with money. And it is true. We can put together, any of us can put together a list of things to worry about right now and raise our anxiety level. And although the world always has a certain amount of things to be anxious about, well right now has a little bit more but the thing is the real money and value over time is made as an investor in things that people produce ideas products goods services of various types and gold just sits there even costs money to do something with it to store it safely so I got no problem with you being into this a little bit. I've got lots of problems with you putting a huge amount of the money you've got into gold or other precious metals. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate asking your questions. Kim, who are you starting with?
0: This is from Nick in Tennessee, and Nick says, I need advice on how to fund our upcoming kitchen renovation. We have equal access to funds in savings as well as brokerage investments accounts. Not earning a whole lot of interest in savings, but wondering if pulling funds out of our non retirement investment mutual fund accounts makes more sense given the recent highs of the market. It would be a long term capital gains tax would feel like a win if we pulled money out while the market is high what do you think
1: well actually the way i look at it is not from that tech standpoint or locking in gains although there's nothing wrong psychologically if you need money locking in gains instead of losses but it's more on the issue of making sure you have money readily available for a rainy day so I'm always nervous about somebody wiping out all their simple savings or CDs. Clark? Yes? I should
0: tell you, I'm sorry. He actually did go on to say a little more about his personal situation that might help you in this case. He said that the purchase wouldn't be a financial burden and that he fully maxes out his 401ks and IRAs and he has zero debt and they outright own their home.
1: That's all fantastic. It still leaves the answer in a similar territory to where I started. And that is that taking some of this money from simple savings would be fine. As long as you maintain a decent cushion of emergency funds, take as much as you need from that. If you still need more, then harvest some of your gains in stocks. So a combination of those two, to a level that keeps a good cash cushion in your life would be what I would look at. So it's fantastic that your finances are so rock solid. Joel? Clark Buck in Nevada says,
2: with governments around the world creating their own digital currencies to compete with Bitcoin, how realistic is a 100% cashless society and how soon could it possibly happen in your opinion? I'm seeing a lot of alarmed social media posts on the subject lately.
1: So... The, the things that governments are doing with the uh, equivalent of digital money is a little different than the way you think of crypto. So think of it this way. Countries around the world, are, developed countries, are further along in going electronic for payments of all types. And in many other countries, paper checks actually are ceasing to exist. And that's a natural progression in how payment systems work. So as far as governments being involved as like a competitor to cryptocurrencies, it's not quite like that. And I'm not specifically worried about anything along those lines. To reiterate something, though, you've uh, maybe heard from me from time to time, I worry about us being completely dependent on a digital-only payment system here or anywhere else because of the problems with hackers and foreign state actors that try to disrupt electronic payment means, computer systems, and the rest, I think there's still a meaningful reason to have what we call it an analog payment system instead of digital. Plain old cash I still think has a decent role to play to protect us from those who wish to do us harm as a society. Kim?
0: Judith in Illinois says, my dear friend has a newer Jaguar that due to certain circumstances, her husband can no longer drive. So right now they're allowing an acquaintance to take it and use it for the summer. He told them he's covered on his insurance to drive their car. My friends have considerable assets, and my question is, would my friends be liable if that person caused a serious accident?
1: In uh, in virtually every state. Now, auto insurance is regulated by the states and is governed by state law, but as a general rule, the insurance issue becomes one for your friends lending this JAG, and they are at potential liability risk so if the friend is going to continue driving the vehicle for a significant remaining period of time this would definitely be a conversation for them to have about maybe selling the vehicle to the friend or at the very least talking to their own insurer telling them what's going on and after the insurer freaks out finding out what they can do to properly protect themselves from a liability standpoint, with the friend driving the vehicle. As a general old expression, not always valid in every state, insurance follows the car, not the driver. Joel?
2: Clark Michael in Georgia says, Hey, Clark, I'd like some suggestions. Being retired for six years, Social Security and RMDs provide for what I need. But I have excess money in my rainy day savings. I'd like to put to work... Uh, earning a better return, because uh, I'm really just getting right about 1% right now. You've mentioned peer-to-peer lending, and you've mentioned uh, some of the robo-advisors. What would be your number one goal? How would you uh, allocate this money?
1: So it's been a really interesting experiment that I think now is maybe five years old with me putting money into a couple of the peers, to pe- peer-to-peers lending club and Prosper Because I was getting, back then, I was getting so many questions about it, and I kind of stalled out on my return about two years ago. I've had enough loans charge off that I've still made money, but it's not big money. It's more than I could earn in savings accounts, but especially right now, as you might imagine, I've got more and more defaults among the loans that I've made to people, and mine is set up automatically for lower-risk loans, and I'm still having uh, more defaults with both Lending Club and Prosper. So it is truly an investment, nothing like savings, and there's risks that you could lose money. I have not. I've made money, but not a huge amount. Over time, and if this some of this money is money you're not going to need necessarily for the rest of your life, but it would be an inheritable asset potentially Having that money invested in uh, potentially index funds that would have minimal tax consequences for you, but great benefit for someone later on down the road who can inherit that as an asset would be a potentially great thing for you to do. You could use a robo-investing, a robo-advisor kind of thing to build a portfolio where they'd go through a series of questions with you and get your objectives and risk level put together hopefully right to come up with the right mix of investments that would work with this what for you is excess cash kim
0: tomas in georgia says what is the best affordable internet service for a family
1: so that's emerging and it's going to change so much the answer to this question is going to be so very different as we move through the next two years but one serious emerging competitor to the traditional cable monopolies and the uh, phone monopoly generally principally AT&T to a lesser extent Verizon is for you to go with wireless fixed wireless home internet which is something T-Mobile offers with no data cap for $50 a month doesn't even you don't even have to be an existing customer for cellular with t-mobile you can just inquire to see if they will take you at your address for home internet and so 50 a month without any data caps is a really good deal the speed is not going to be lightning fast it will get faster over the next year but it's not going to be blazing fast internet the thing that's coming As soon as next year, and I've already put something out for people to be part of a test, is to be part of the new satellite internet services, which are going to be fantastic and cheap. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to
0: wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data
1: rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cody joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Cody.
2: Hey, Clark. How are you?
1: Great. Thank you. So, Cody, you are working and you are doing a good job saving money for your future. But you got a question for me about that.
2: Yeah, so um, right now, I'm putting uh, 6% into our company, Roth 401k, and they're matching the max at 3% of that. And I was just wondering if I wanted to contribute more, should I just put more into my Roth 401k, or should I put it into a separate Roth IRA?
1: Well, that's a great question, and the answer depends generally on how big a company do you work for. Is it a small company, a midsize, or is it one of the giant corporations in the country?
2: Um, I'd say it's a it's a fairly sized regional bank. There's about 1,100 employees.
1: Oh, it's a it's a bank Roth yes. 401k. Yes, definitely open your own Roth IRA. Okay. banks historically um, have not had very good uh, 401k plans and they tend to be higher cost for their employees and so that's why doing the six percent you're doing right now in the bank sponsored roth 401k would be what you should do because you pick up all the match and then anything additional you do in your own Roth IRA with one of the low-cost companies. And are you familiar with, when I I make that statement, low-cost companies, do you know what I mean when I say that about where you would put Roth IRA money?
2: Yeah, I've I've heard you name a few companies.
1: Okay. And if you want to refresh your memory with the list and what funds I recommend, you can go to Clark.com, look at my investment guide, and you'll be good to go okay sounds good and think about what you're doing you're effectively right now saving nine percent of what you make if you contribute a meaningful amount to your own roth ira and you step that up you're really changing the trajectory of your future how much financial independence you'll have down the road so good for you thank you thank you for taking time out of your day to join us on the clark howard show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have on clark.com we have an unusual place it's called clark.com slash clark stinks it's where you if you feel like you need to deliver a message to me about giving bad advice bad information having uh, crazy opinions giving somebody a poor answer i want you if you're willing to take time out of your day to please help out your fellow listener, and help me out by going to clark.com slash clarkstinks and post where you feel I'm messed up. And then others can read that, and others can comment on what you've said, and then weekly producers Kim and Joel ask or uh, pose to me things you posted at Clark Stinks so others can hear what you have posted And I have a chance to learn from you and react to what you have said. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You
0: should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: Maybe you're right, pal.
0: dokie, Clark Howard. Here we go. This first one is from Mike. And he says, the other day you said that chapter 11 bankruptcy means that the company is going out of business. I believe I'm paraphrasing. I think it means that the company is organizing with its creditors under a new system that allows them to stay in business and pay a certain amount of money to them. Again, the term is reorganization,
1: not going out of business. Am I not correct? You are completely correct, and we actually did a long segment about this recently, so I must not have explained myself well. What I thought I said in that is that if you file for a Chapter 7, that is a liquidation of a business, but one of the changes that Congress made in February without an eye to coronavirus but is something that small businesses need to be aware of and maybe can make use of is that now under the new provisions of Chapter 11, Chapter 11 is now accessible to small businesses to have protection from their creditors, hopefully be able to reorganize their business. Uh, Let's say a multi-location restaurant would be able to shed locations that they can't make work and not have to honor the rest of the lease. And then they can try to put their efforts on the business operating successfully at the smaller number of locations. In the past, Chapter 11 only worked for giant companies because it was a very, very involved and expensive process. But now with the changes that have been made, it's now much more affordable and approachable for small businesses to use Chapter 11 as a way to have protection from the debts you owe and still be able to survive with your business. Joel.
2: Tim says, Hey Clark, not so much a comment on your stench, but more of a question. You regularly rail against large American banks while simultaneously recommending the majority of your listeners invest in target date funds or other broad market index funds. However, most if not all of these funds have significant holdings in large American banks. How do you personally reconcile this? While not viewing them as beacons of light, I don't share your view on American banks, but I certainly I'm invested in some companies that I don't think highly of as a byproduct of being invested in broad market index funds. So I share a similar conundrum. Just wondering your thoughts on this.
1: I love this question. So think about how many times I've talked trash about the giant monster megabanks and specifically the criminal enterprise impersonating a bank known as Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase and City and called each of them out for various things over the years and then I have significant indirect holdings in these four banks investing so heavily in index funds uh, I'm not a because my situation where I am in my life I'm not target retirement fund personally but I have a huge amount of index funds so I am invested in them so this is A thing where what I do as an investor is different than how I feel about what we should be about as a society. That I think that we made a terrible error during the banking scandals of seven, eight, and nine when the government favored these giant banks, bailed them out, allowed thousands of other banks to cease to exist, and now these four big banks control half of banking in the country. It allows them, even when they're horribly run and engage in extreme criminal activity like Wells Fargo, to still, quarter after quarter, typically report huge profits because they have so much market share. So as an investor, you go where the money is, and if you own index funds, you own little tiny slices and dices of hundreds or thousands of companies. And that's where I am, and that's how I end up owning stock and companies did I bad mouth, Kim?
0: This is from the message board and the user goes by Michael1879 and he says, Clark has received calls and submissions from listeners who want to cancel their credit card with, that have an annual fee, cards that have an annual fee. You gave them your standard advice to first apply for another card before canceling. Clark, you already agreed with me once before that the best option is to call your credit card company and ask to be downgraded or switched to a no fee card. Why do you keep giving the wrong first step advice on this?
1: No excuse on my part. Uh, sometimes I get so fixated when somebody's calling me about a rewards card that has like a annual fee or $550 annual fee and it's not really working for them to bail on it but I should always suggest as a first option that they trade down to a card that has no annual fee to replace that from that uh, same airline program and same issuer and not have a new fresh hit on a new inquiry, hard inquiry, on their credit. So you've said it, and I will try to be better at remembering that since your advice is better than what I've said. Joel?
2: Clark, Joe says, I need to point out that you're slightly and uncharacteristically malodorous on this topic. I listen to your podcast (laughs) every day, and I compare notes with my longtime friend who lives about 1,800 miles away. The Clark Howard brand is all about your consumer expertise, good deals, and quality. I don't understand how over and over you can say all the great things you do about Tesla. Sure, as an electric vehicle, it gets great mileage and good performance, but the brand has been plagued by quality issues for years and has the absolute highest number of reported problems uh, ranking last out of 33 brands in J.D. Power's quality studies, even higher than Land Rover. The issues include paint problems, wind noise, squeaks, panel rattles, etc. cetera. So taking your advice in April, I traded in my 17-year-old 4-Runner for a four-year-old used Lexus that cost less than a new bare bones Honda CRV. Your consumer prowess is on the line here, Clark.
1: So what you did from a strictly economic standpoint is brilliant. You kept a vehicle forever. When you got rid of it, you replaced it with a vehicle that was four years old and the most reliable brand of all. Year after year, according to Consumer Reports research and long term ownership research from JD Power, and that is Lexus. So that makes you very, very smart. The Tesla thing, it was so interesting about the JD Power. In fact, they themselves are puzzled about this. So, in their initial vehicle quality survey, which is how's a vehicle perform in the first 90 days, what kind of problems people have. Tesla came up the worst, just like you said. And then the other JD Power survey of what brand people have the greatest loyalty to and love owning the most is also Tesla. So Tesla is such a different kind of organization, and the technology in their vehicles is so far ahead of where the rest of the industry is that. It is a mixed bag of nuts that you've got an assembly line operation that doesn't focus enough on the quality of vehicles as they come down the assembly line, but the underlying idea architecture and the experience of driving the vehicle makes it really unique. When others catch up with Tesla on those aspects, Tesla better by then have the quality of the vehicles rolling off their assembly line at industry standard, or they really will get a punch in the nose from the marketplace. Kim? Shapur says,
0: I love your show and religiously listen to your podcast every day. I do, however, question your wisdom when you suggest that listeners go for a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30. This may work for high-income people, but not for the majority of your listeners. The conventional wisdom of owning your home outright does not work as part of an investment tool. The pandemic has placed many people out of work and unemployed with no cash savings. A paid off house does not help you put food on your table or buy you medicine. Ironically, the majority of people who followed 15 years of mortgage advice five to 10 years ago are now house rich and cash poor. Unemployed homeowners don't qualify for home equity or refinances to get cash out of their house to pay their bills unless they sell that house. Please consider encouraging your listeners to go for a 30-year mortgage and build at least two years of emergency cash to be ready to deal with life changes today and life changes tomorrow. I'd love to hear your argument against this.
1: I can't argue against it because if you you single-mindedly focus just on your mortgage and you don't have other circuit breakers in place in your life you're right doing a refinance not into a 15 year would make sense but I've really come to think about this a little differently and my son-in-law was part of convincing me to think about this with a little more nuance than I had always talked about. And, you know, I'll talk about somebody being, uh, you know, 23 years left on a 30-year mortgage, that refining into a new 30-year mortgage is really dangerous to your financial picture because you're adding on to your loan. The same time going from, let's say, 23 or 26 years or whatever down to 15 could put somebody painted into a financial corner like you're describing. And so I've come to be a believer in refinance into a 20-year mortgage. You don't get the cut in interest rate you would on a 15, but it keeps you on target to not add to the number of years left in your mortgage, keeps the payment much more affordable and likely either keeping your length of term the similar, similar number of years but at a lower rate or cutting years off your loan at a payment somewhat equivalent or maybe even potentially lower than what you had on your remaining 30-year loan.
2: Joel? Clark, this one's from Linda. She says, you don't stink, but I'd recommend the following change to a very frequent question. You often get asked, and I just heard it again, about pulling your underused credit cards out of your sock drawer and using them for a few purchases every six months. There's a much easier solution. Just do what I do, which is to schedule small auto payments on those cards. There's nothing to remember, and we all have small monthly recurring
1: bills that would be perfect for this purpose. I'm a true believer
2: in the KISS method.
1: And uh, that is a wonderful suggestion. That's one I'm going to try to commit to memory because that is a good way to deal with what are known as the back of wallet cards and keep them active and making a little charge on them every month is a great way to do it so you always remember and then you have activity all 12 months of the year carrie is with us on the clark howard show and carrie your bank did something to you that surprised you tell me
3: (laughs) yes sir hi clark how are you
1: great thank you carrie
3: (laughs) good um so my husband he's never owned a credit card and he recently just got denied for the rewards credit card that he applied for and i'm just really worried we won't be approved for the amount that we want for a house in the next year or two and i've added him as an authorized user to my credit cards to help build his credit but do you recommend any secured credit cards specifically or credit cards that he might be approved with
1: okay that's a wonderful question and the, I see the bank that turned him down was USAA Federal Savings Bank. So thank you to you or to him or both of you for your service to our country. Thank you. Um, if I recall, doesn't USAA offer their own secured card that converts to regular after so many months?
3: They used to. Um, when I called them, they said that they stopped doing secured credit cards December of 2018.
1: Well, I'm sure out of date, aren't I? (laughs) So for his purposes, are you a member of a credit union? No, sir, we're not. All right. I would look at some of the military-based credit unions and look at their websites and see if they offer secured cards, because I don't want you to get one of those trash secured cards that are just kind of floating out there in the air. I want you to get one from a good organization and one of the military-based, you know, several of the military-based credit unions do offer them and I don't know specifically if Navy Federal or Pentagon Federal or which, which ones offer the secured cards, but you have eligibility across them with uh, being in the military and I would find okay. one of those available And with a good secured card, after typically six or 12 months of on-time payments, it graduates you to a regular credit card. You've done a smart thing by adding your husband to your cards as well as an authorized user, lending your good credit to him, and Mm -hmm. getting his credit beefed up is going to be really important for qualifying jointly for a mortgage. What other credit has he ever had in his name?
3: I don't. He hasn't had any credit. Um, we've been blessed to not have any student loans or debt. So he's only ever had one, now two debit cards in his
1: whole life. <laughs> yeah, then that doesn't reflect at all. So he needs Correct. to put a real effort to building up credit. Your lending, your credit as an authorized will help. Getting at okay. least a secured card will help. And um, the loan officer, when you start the process of applying for a mortgage loan, whether you use USAA, Federal Savings Bank for that, or somewhere else, the loan officer will be able to tell you what additional he's going to need to do in order for you to both of you to have enough robust credit history to be able to qualify for the mortgage. Okay and so um starting this now is really smart of you because often people don't ask me this question till after they've already put in an offer on a house and then mm-hmm. they've run into a roadblock with the mortgage so doing your advanced prep is really great and Thank you. good luck to you with this process you're listening to the clark howard show